Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Good morning, Grace Fellowship. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Matthew Von Stein. Uh, my wife and family call Grace Fellowship our home. I'm on the teaching team here at Grace. Um, and this morning, I have the uh, privilege uh, to continue our series in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and pull them out. And we're going to go to John uh, chapter 3. And we're going to dive right in this morning uh, into our passage starting at verse 22. So I'll give you a second to get there. And then we'll begin. John chapter 3, verse 22. All right, I'll read. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And Jesus remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim. Because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you, they're talking about Jesus, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. At the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you and recognize your presence with us this morning. We thank you for the worship that centers our hearts and our minds on you. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning in me and in those here. Lord, that 
you would reveal to us more of who you are and who we are in you. We love you. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, if you don't know, uh, but I've, I've shared this before, that I, uh, my, my role uh, outside of Grace uh, is that I have had the privilege of overseeing a ministry called Young Life here in Southern York. And uh, for the, it's been now eight years. In fact, it was uh, eight years ago that my wife, Michelle, and I answered the call together to move into Southern York and to join a number of adults who had been praying uh, for the ministry of Young Life. If you don't know what Young Life is, is it is a, a ministry uh, that partners alongside of the church, churches like Grace Fellowship, uh, to, um, to train and equip adults to step into the lives of the, the lost adolescent world here in our community, to walk alongside of young people and to share God's love with them. And I've actually shared with you uh, stories before of when this all got started. Uh, those of you who have heard me speak before of, you know, I had been volunteering for Young Life for a very long time, but this was new. I was new on staff and this was a new area and we were going to try to start something new alongside of volunteers and leaders. And, you know, I drove to the high school for the very first time. I was supposed to meet a teacher there and, you know, the bell um, rung, it rang, it rungeth. I don't know if I said that right. The bell rang. <laughs> and um, I never got out of my car. I was just scared to death, like just white knuckling the steering wheel as kids just kind of like, you know, I don't know what I looked like inside the car, like just sitting in there. But I was just supposed to go in and talk to a teacher about who wanted, you know, they wanted to see Young Life at the school. And I was just sitting in the car just like, I've made the worst decision of my life. What am I doing? <laughs> you know, I was like, this is insane. I can't do this. I'm not equipped for this. And thankfully, you know, I drove back the next day with a ton more courage and uh, uh, a whole new spirit. And uh, when I got there and the bell rang, um, I, I, I didn't get out of my car. I, I actually went back home again and was too scared. <laughs> Did it twice. Might have done it three times. Don't know. Um, it's kind of a cloud. Uh, but eventually, I got out of my car and walked against the tide of students coming out of the school, um, trying to hold my head up high and look confident that I knew what I was doing. Um, but you know, it's been uh, eight years since uh, you all even partnered with us to kind of pioneer new ministry. It's awesome. And I look back at how we identified and met just a few students and started you know, hanging out with them and got to know their parents and started hanging out with kids and taking them to Chick-fil-A and walking alongside of them. We got to go to camp and listen to a proclamation of the gospel in a way that they could understand. We got to see a handful of them surrender their lives to Christ. And they came home and we opened up God's word together and we talked about, I mean, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to not only allow him to have impact in us, but what if he were to actually use us to impact our families, our school, we invited more volunteers to be a part of it, and it grew, and, and we just met more and more students, and it just continued to expand, and over these eight years, um, I just look back and think of the club talks that I was able to give to uh, a room full of lost kids who were just seeking and asking questions and, and trusting leaders and friends to, to hear this message about Jesus Christ, and the group of students that took their faith back into the school and into their homes. We saw lives transformed. We saw families change. It's been an awesome, awesome eight years. 
And over the past couple of years, my role has changed in Young Life. I have been asked not to just develop the ministry here in Southern York, but over the past two or three years, I've stepped into a role of overseeing the development of ministry throughout York and Adams County. And it's great. I get to help recruit staff and train staff and equip them and put them into uh, communities that want to see lost kids reached. And I get to identify volunteers and help strengthen the backbone of the ministry throughout these two counties. And one of the cool things that's happened throughout that time is that God has been so good in that he, is, he has sent like, you know, new staff and new leaders uh, to kind of take the torch, right, of, of where I was doing ministry specifically around a certain school and a certain community. But I have to be honest with you, and this is something that I guess is probably pretty natural that I've just tried to be introspective about and try to figure out what's going on in my heart. But eight years later, Young Life and my role in it has become so much more to me than why I originally got into it. Does that make sense? Whether or not you like what you do or you love what you do, over all of these years, I realized that likely, and it's not always healthy, that some of my identity, my purpose, my, feeling, my, my desire to feel useful, you know, all of these things. And, and I don't think that's, I realize that that's always, it's, I think this is a, sub, uh, a subconscious process that's kind of going on naturally as, as I was been in this role. But as my role has shifted, you sometimes don't realize how much you have relied on something until it's threatened or until it changes, right? And over time, I've realized that for me, and I hope I'm not crazy here, <laughs> is that Young Life isn't just a ministry to kids to me. In a lot of the ways, I, I've needed it to be a ministry to me, right? So much of these past years and what I've learned about myself and what others know about me has come from my work and, and what I've been doing. And as it's changing, those things, um, there's just a million things going on in my head where I can lose sight of why I got into it in the first place. And the truth is, it's not just young life for me. I grew up in a Christian home, had Christian friends. I went to a great youth group. I married a Christian woman, and I eventually found myself in vocational ministry as a job. I guess this is what I'm saying, is that I've noticed that in my life, beyond just my work in young life, but in my, in, in, in my years as a Christian or in church and in this community, that I have this immense capacity inside of me not to be primarily concerned with how Jesus wants to use me, but, but how Jesus is useful to me. To use this world and this culture to build me up, to make me feel bigger, stronger. Is it possible for me to operate in this environment and still miss Jesus and my fellowship with him. It's like the parable of the two lost sons, the younger son who's the wayward son, right? He doesn't, he doesn't desire fellowship with his father and so he takes his inheritance and he just runs away and he squanders all of it, right? But there's two lost sons. There's an elder brother, right? And, and he's 
constantly surrounded by the father. He lives uh, on his father's estate and works for him and does all of that. But what we discover in that parable is that he also does not find fellowship with his father satisfying. Can I be an elder brother? Can I lose sight of the main thing? Can I lose sight of Christ? How weird would it be for me to be up here and tell you the 20 reasons um, why I love to be married and to talk about the beauty of marriage and for you to agree with all 20 of those things that I listed and then realize at the end that I never mentioned my wife. Would it be possible for me to do that with my relationship with Jesus? Can he just be a piece of the pie instead of the center of the whole thing? Is it possible, I'm gonna go out on a limb, that I'm not alone? Christian, is it possible to see Jesus as a good moral or civic teacher but miss him as a savior? Is it possible for us as believers to rely more on the acceptance of Christians than on the love that God freely gives to us? Is it possible for me to want Jesus to serve my kingdom instead of me serving his? Is it possible for me to proclaim the gospel but still look to the world for truth and meaning and answers in my life? Is it possible for days, weeks, seasons, months, or years of our journey in faith with the Lord to be great fans of Jesus and still miss out on a relationship with him? In this short passage at the end of John, John the Baptist's followers come to him They're trying to frame how to see Jesus' ministry in light of John's, right? And even other Jews are beginning to compare Jesus' ministry to John's and to ask questions and to stir up controversy. And here, the reason that I think what John the Baptist says and why I think John the evangelist, the, the, the one who penned this gospel, includes these words is because John the Baptist's response to the testimony of Jesus is so inexplicable to people then, I think, and even today, that the writer of this gospel even knew in the first century church that while the church was growing, that there were still Christians that while they were great fans of the movement of Christ in and around them, that they were still asking questions of like, well, do we follow John still? And so John includes this portion to us of of what John's response to, uh, John the Baptist's response is to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I would like us to look at some of what John says to his followers how he explains to them what Jesus' ministry and his testimony means to him and what that might mean to us. So there are three points that I'd like to make with you this morning, all under the heart of making sure that we don't miss Christ. I think that's what John uh, is imploring to his followers, is don't be excited about Jesus and still miss out on what he's doing and still reject the testimony that he brings. I'd like us to see Christ as a witness, John as a warning, and a wedding as a picture. So first, Christ 
as a witness. It says in verse 31, this is what John said in response to his followers. He says, uh, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and he speaks in an earthly way. He comes from heaven and is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and what he has heard. Look, so if John's heart is for his followers not to get this wrong, he doesn't want them to miss who Jesus is and what he is about and how we are meant to posture and position ourselves before him. He's saying, look, Jesus isn't just the next in line, right? We're from earth, but he's not. His testimony comes, it's from heaven. Jesus has come with a testimony to bear witness to the truth about the world and more importantly, to give a testimony about himself. Look, John's followers had the same questions that we do about life. We heard some of that even last week as Phil unpacked um, the, the passage before this. He, Phil went through huge questions that we ask and, and questions that we've been asking, uh, you know, that they've asked, that we ask, whether you're young or old, but where's my identity? What's my purpose? Where do I belong? Do my decisions matter? Where is there significance, meaning, and worth in my life? And John is saying, listen to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is above all. He comes from heaven. His words are God's words. Life is a mystery and we need a testimony. Someone to come and bring clarity to the world around us and in us. You know, I think about when my children were really little, you know, uh, before they could crawl and, you know, laying on their back on this little, you know, three by three blanket, kicking their feet and looking around. And I remember that, you know, when I'd come home and I'd see them laying there, I would just think about how the idea of like, their whole world is that blanket. You know what I mean? Their whole world is just one or two feet in front of them. That's all they can see. That's all they can understand. And I always had this desire as a dad to get down on the ground, right? On either side of them and to get down to show my face to them and just talk about the world around them, right? My children needed uh, need a loving parent, a loving father to come down on their level and to explain what they cannot see and what they cannot understand. And what we see in the book of John is that it says that the word became flesh. The word, truth, right? Truth became flesh and dwelt among us and has brought clarity and a testimony into our lives. I heard a, a, a preacher uh, give a really neat example of it's, it's like we're stuck in traffic. And, and, and you know, when, when we're stuck in traffic and we're trying to figure out what's going on, we'll turn to the air traffic reporter, the guy up in the helicopter. Why? Because he's got the view, right? He sees the end from the beginning. And listen, the reason John is saying these words to his followers is he realizes that it's possible for us to reject the testimony and the clarity that Jesus brings into our world. So like us in the car being like, ah, what do they know? You know, they're not, you know, they don't get it. They're not in, you know, they're not in this car with me. You know, John is saying, no, listen, Jesus comes from above. He has the view he doesn't just have a view, he has the only real view of what's happening. 
He sees the beginning. He sees from the beginning from the end. He brings a testimony to, the, to, to how the world um, is meant to be. He brings his kingdom and explains the world around us and life. Look, practically speaking, one of the reasons that I can miss Christ and my fellowship with him is because I'm not looking for him to bring clarity to my world. I can be so seduced by the 24-hour news cycle, the talking heads, the opinions of friends and families, and completely lose sight of the idea that I have access to a witness from above. Someone who not only sees my situation, but not just has a different view, but like I said, the only view of what is really going on. Far too often, I want to use Christ's words to back up how I want to see things instead of really seeking out his truth to sit, read, listen, and wonder at his truth revealed to us through scripture. He teaches us about family, community, marriage, work, pain, anger, everything. There's nothing that the Bible in our lives doesn't want to address. And more importantly, it reveals to us the truth about himself and about his kingdom. A kingdom that says that in order to lose power, you give it away. In order to gain wisdom, we may have to suffer. In order to become strong, we have to become weak. In order to lead, we serve. You see, the testimony, the witness of Jesus Christ, brings clarity into his kingdom, into the world that he designed. But it doesn't just explain the world around us, right? It explains the world inside of us too. The reason that the gospel can, can be so offensive and Phil kind of mentioned this a little bit last week is because the gospel levels the playing field, doesn't it? There's no good guys and no bad guys. There's no them. There's no one for us to feel morally superior to, religiously superior to, politically superior to. It levels the playing field. It says that no matter how much you've suffered, no matter how much you've been abandoned, no matter how much you've been rejected, that everyone, all of us, have fallen short of the glory of God. And that because of this thing called sin in our lives, that we have fallen short and we're separated from God. The Bible says that I want to be my own savior, determine my own self-worth, make my own rules, and be my own God. And what John the Baptist is imploring in, in, in his followers, and, and I think for us this morning, is to realize that as the witness of Jesus Christ brings clarity into our lives and we understand more of, of why the world around us is the way it is and, and explains the deep discontent of the human heart and why that is and what's going on, is it makes us realize that we need something from beyond earth to save us. I've told students for so many years in Young Life, when we think about the, the truth that Jesus brings to us, I said, look, you, we all have a Bible. Every day, everyone reads their Bible. And of course, kids are like, I, I don't. I said, I know, I'm kind of saying like lowercase b Bible. We all look for answers. We all are looking for truth. It can be others' opinions, social media, our phones, 
Sometimes we can just constantly borrow other people's faith for answers. It can be media. It can be a political party. It can be anything. But only God's word can really be God's word in our life. Only the Bible can bring us his words and his clarity and his testimony. The only, the only sorts of answers that will really satisfy the longings of our heart and really answer what is going on in our hearts and our minds and our worlds is God's word. And so one of the reasons that I miss out on my fellowship with Jesus Christ, or worse, even reject his testimony is because while I may give lip service to his deity and how big he is and how grand he is, at times in my life I have no desire to really allow his testimony, the one from heaven, to speak clarity into the world around me and more importantly the world in me, in my heart. I fear at times that we are less concerned with truth and more concerned with a sort of earthly omniscience, knowing everything, knowing everything that's going on, every issue, every angle, knowing the opinion, the right facts, the right response, the right positions, just a constant cycle of information. Sometimes I miss out on my fellowship with Jesus Christ because I don't really want him to bring clarity to my world or worse, I find it unsatisfying. But Jesus' words and testimony don't just bring clarity into our lives. It also brings authority. In verse 34, it says that Jesus speaks the very words of God. If it's possible for me to miss out on the beauty and the truth of Christ's testimony in my life? Is it also possible for me to miss out on him because of my relationship with, his, with the authority that he brings into my life, into the world? Absolutely. Like a, a, a bunch of, you know, I, I heard the, you know, an example of like a bunch of students in a room and they've been given a poem. And they've been said, it's your job to try to figure out what this poem means. And so they debate it for hours and hours and hours, everyone kind of coming up with their version, their idea of what it means. And then eventually, the author walks into the room and says, okay, I'm here to explain what it means, why I wrote it, the meaning behind it, and the purpose behind it, right? The author brings authority. He wrote it. He designed it. It's his and what's so common for us in our modern world is you can kind of picture the kids in the room going, eh, but that's not what it means to me, right? Can we do that with the authority of Christ in our life? God, I appreciate that you designed the world and you hold the universe in your entire hand and that you dreamed up me before the universe began and that you created everything and then you brought my parents together just so I could exist. But this thing, this authority that you're trying to bring in my life, I don't know, I see things different. Is it possible for us to do that with the author of life and to miss the authority that he brings? Look, John the Baptist here in this passage is saying to his followers, look, the only authority that I have is John the Baptist. The only authority that I have are, are, are when my words match up with exactly what his words are. But his words are from God. Every breath that he utters is truth and authority. You see, to accept Jesus personally, it isn't just to allow him to bring clarity into your life or into your situations in your lives or into your heart, but to allow him to have real authority. 
And look, one of our natural responses to Christ's authority, uh, probably especially in the beginning of our relationship with him, but probably all the time, is to say, look, I, I, I want to have, I want Jesus to have authority in my life. It's just that I'm worried that he might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And the response is, that's why it's called authority. Of course he will. But he's a good God. And he loves you. And he's designed you. He knows how you work so much more than you do. One of the reasons that I might miss out on Christ and lose sight of the real thing is because I want to use his teachings to bring clarity to the world around me. And in particular, sometimes I really like to use his teachings just to challenge the world around me. But I don't want that same authority to challenge me. Where are you looking for clarity and witness in the world around you and in your own heart? Is Jesus and his word and authority in your life? Do you allow God to be God? So that's Jesus as a witness. He brings clarity and authority in his testimony. And John was worried that his followers would miss Jesus because of their relationship with his testimony. And secondly, we see here John as a warning. So as we have surrendered our lives to Christ, as we allow him to reveal his truth through scripture, through his spirit and through his people, and as he begins to challenge us uh, in his authority, John, uh, uh, John is saying to, to his followers here, they're, they're looking at the, 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 um, the ministry of Jesus growing, and they're seeing John's ministry what? Diminish and dwindle, right? And John is just being faithful. He's continuing to do what God has asked him to do. But his followers are going, look, um, John, and they even say that man. Do you see that they, that, you know, they won't even just say his name. They say that man who you bear, you know, that you've given testimony to. Gosh, John, it, it really looks like a lot of people are following him and less people are following you. <clears throat> and John goes, yes, it's the whole point. It's the whole idea. John, he must increase. Jesus must be exalted. He must be magnified. He must be made beautiful. And his followers in some way are saying, yeah, but is there a cost that is too much to see Jesus made beautiful? And John is going, uh, no, nothing. He must increase. I must decrease. He's saying to his followers that, look, no one gives identity, purpose, and meaning and worth to the world, but by him and through him. This is the same reason two weeks ago when Pastor Mark was preaching that we got to, to walk through Nicodemus' reaction, right, to Jesus' testimony. It, it, it took him back, this reaction to, oh, what are you saying? And Jesus was going, all this ceremony, all the laws, all of this is fulfilled in me. And the way to the Father is through me. The Old Testament, they saw prophets who would bring God's word to the people. And Jesus is saying, there's going to be no more prophets. I'm it. Because I don't just bring God's word. I am God. Every word I say are the words of God. There used to be priests who would intercede between God's people. And they would go to the temple and offer sacrifice and prayer for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was saying, I'm it. 
I'm the last priest that will ever be. I'm the ultimate priest. And not only am I the perfect priest, I'm the per- I will also be the sacrifice that intercedes between God's people and, and the Father that loves them. The kingdom of Israel had kings. Well, guess what? I'm the last one. The king of kings. The one that will, will reign forever. You see, and John the Baptist is going, it's all him. It's all about Jesus' beauty. It's all about his magnificence. And Jesus emphasizes this over and over and over in, in, in his ministry to people that as they follow him, he constantly turns around to his followers, not because he's trying to push them away, but continue to, to remind them and bring clarity to them that it's all about him. He's, you know, he's like, look, I, I just fed 5,000 people. I think I've said this pretty much every sermon I've ever given. He, you know, that he's like, hey, you're following me and your stomachs are full. And I love that. But just so you know, I'm not the bread maker. The point of me doing that is so that you realize that I am the bread of life. I'm the thing that will, will forever satisfy your hunger. I don't just draw water for you. I am living water. So you see that as I accept Jesus' testimony into my life and into my world, and I allow Jesus to be authority in my life. See, I, I kept on trying to be John in this passage, right? And like, okay, what did John do? What did John, and I realized that, like, that I had to think more about John's followers and how that revealed more about me than John the Baptist does. Because I realized that as I've given Jesus authority in my life, I've staked, I've put in the ground that I've surrendered my life to him. And that his righteousness has been imputed on me. That when God sees me, he sees his son. I'm his forever. But does it stop there? Is it like an easy ride from that point? Right? Faith can be hard. And the truth is that as I, the more, not the less, but the more I lean into Jesus Christ, the more I pursue him, the more it's like civil war just breaks out inside of me all the time the more I let God have more reign in more parts of my life, the more, in a sense, think about it, if you think about John's followers coming to him going, hey, this might be too much, right? There are little followers inside of me that come to me going, hey, can we talk? Like, this is great, this whole thing about Jesus, we love it, we got it, um, but man, Matt, this looks like a lot of loss. And there's civil war just raging inside of me. Now, Scripture says that like, my identity isn't in my sin. My identity isn't in my, my nature. It says that if I'm in Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I'm a new creation. But I have to constantly tell my old self and these little gods and these little followers in my life that, no, he must increase. We must decrease. Look, as a believer, it's natural for us to rise up against Christ and, his, and, and the authority that he has in our lives. That's the beauty, that my security is in him and not based on my performance, but on the cross. But all the while, the measure of freedom and growth that I experience here on earth is directly tied to how willing I am to continually invite God to wage war against the little gods and the little followers in my life. Not just the bad things, but even little gods dressed up like good things. If you are a believer and constantly fighting your flesh, praise God. Keep telling your little followers, your faculties, your old self, tell them who's king. I'm not Christ. He is. 
when control is threatened by his authority in your life, tell control to trust in his sovereignty. When desire for acceptance and your fear of man comes with its demands, remember who calls you a son and daughter, a royal priesthood, whole, complete, and made pure. When comfort, are you listening, Western American Christians? Me? When comfort comes indignant and annoyed, remember that he has made you for adventure, a life of abundance in him. What is it for you? What little followers come to you in protest? This seems like too much. I'd rather you not give Christ's light shine into this room in my life. I'd rather you not allow his authority in this place in my life. And we have the, the, the honor, the, the joy of being able to say even to ourselves, like I know there's a lot going on here and I know this is a war inside of me, but I am not the Christ. He is. He must increase. I must decrease. I can miss Christ in my life because he's not a witness that brings clarity and authority into my world. And I can miss Christ because there are parts of me that do not want to diminish my pride. On and on. And the truth is that many times I'm not waging war. I listen to them. And I take orders from them. I want my kingdom to advance and not his. And so... As I was writing this sermon, I got to this point and I said, gosh, I, I don't want this to be like a, and may the guilt be with you. <laughs> right? Like, gosh, I just stink at this. Yeah, I don't want his truth and clarity in my life. I look to the world all the time for answers. I don't think I listen to his authority. And to be honest, I don't know if I'm really waging war. Inside, I don't know if I'm inviting him to bring his authority into more places in my life. But then when I look, when I look at John the Baptist here, and, and he begins to describe what it's like for him. So he's diminishing. His ministry is slowly fading. And, you know, the, the, you know the, the morning star is fading in the light of the sun. And it's like, well, then what's John's response? Well, you know, puts his head down low and sulks and walks away. No, he said, he uses this word, he goes, it's joy for me. And that's why it, it ought not be guilt for us as we wrestle with this idea of our relationship with Christ and really wanting him and desiring him and, and not wanting to miss him amidst all of this. Is that as Christ increased in my life, it's meant to produce in me joy. And he describes a wedding, right? Where he said, he's like, I, he's like, I get, it's like I get to be the groom's best friend where I get to celebrate the entrance of the groom and the bride and see them united. He goes, it's, my joy is complete as they're united. You know, this summer, it was funny, I was talking to um, Pastor Ben about my message and I was telling him a little bit about what I wanted to say next. And I said, hey, this summer, I get to marry two of my closest friends. And Ben goes, that seems unhealthy. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I, no, I get to officiate away. away. <laughs> this summer, I get to marry some of my friends. No, this, this summer, um, actually, two of the students who I met eight years ago in Young Life, they're, they're starting families, and they've invited me to, to be the officiant at their wedding. How cool is that? 
Oh my gosh, it's incredible. You know, the truth is I've, I've done one wedding before uh, and, and the truth is that like, you know, f- uh, you know a, a pastor at a wedding, you're, you're kind of like a piece of furniture. You know, you get moved around and you gotta, you're just gotta be at the right place at the right time and say, th- say the right stuff, you know, and, and go from there. But the truth is that I don't mind it because I, I'm going to be right there next to the groom and his emotion is gonna be palpable, right? In that moment, the little bit of frustration that comes in, in the wedding planning and officiating is washed away as I realize that I'm about to unite two people into something bigger than themselves. In that moment when I can almost feel the love between the bride and the groom, being a piece of furniture that showcases something so grand really isn't the worst thing in the world, is it? See, that's the love that John the Baptist has as God's best man. He got to witness in the life and the ministry of Jesus as Jesus met with his bride on earth. That's the pure love that all of God's servants get to witness when they live in such a way that their prestige and their honor and their pride and their little followers decrease in order for God to increase. It's meant to produce joy in us. John the Baptist said that he's the best, he's the groom's best friend who hears the groom's voice. Imagine John the Baptist saying that as he's looking at Jesus' ministry increase while he's decreases. He's saying, I love to hear his voice because it's a superior voice to mine. What kind of voice is it? It, was, it would be a voice that would calm storms. A voice that could raise the dead. A voice that could silence the oppressor, heal the broken. A voice that could give strength to the weak. A voice known by his sheep. A voice known by his bride. A voice that cried out in love for his enemies while they were killing him. A voice that cried out your name and mine so that we could know our Father in heaven. Now you see what I just said there is sometimes what we need to remember that if we can do all of this and still somehow miss out on our relationship with Jesus Christ, what I need to do is I need to go back to when all of a sudden I was no longer just attending weddings anymore. Where all of a sudden it was mine. We have to remember that moment, that season, where you realized that you turned the corner into the sanctuary of the presence of Jesus Christ. And the groom was looking at you. And he was looking at you in all the ways you had ever dreamed and didn't even know you needed. Fully known. Fully loved. And all the majesty of the gospel and all its theology and all of its truth and all the wonder of it became personal because your name was written into it. And you realize that this is for me? He's mine? It is believers who have experienced that kind of joy, the joy of our salvation, that rejoice at the increasing of Christ. We are invited to show him off, to be a frame, 
Jesus didn't come to make better societies. He didn't come just to make happy marriages. He came to save souls. And families of saved people, both in their joys and their struggles, in their adoration and in the love of Christ, when they get it wrong and when they get it right, that's what makes Jesus look beautiful. Communities and churches full of people who want him to be made magnificent. And not just in their lives, but in the world around them. Because of that imperative, he must increase. We must decrease. All to prepare the bride, the lost world, for their bridegroom and to make him look beautiful. Look, I struggled with writing this sermon until I felt like I understood what Jesus was trying to say to me. Look, I, I did not get into young life for my ego. But I remember when I was 19 years old and someone convinced me to be a volunteer and I'd gotten to know this kid, Dan. For years, I just hung out with him and he didn't know the Lord and I can't believe that he wanted me. To, I was like, I was just in high school. Why does he want to hang out with me? And I started hanging out with him and getting to know him. And we took him uh, to this camp called Rockbridge. And I remember we were sitting on a hill overlooking the dining hall and he looked at me and he said, Matt, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and I don't know how, will you help me? And I remember that moment of putting my arm around him and listening to him as he surrendered his life to Christ. I, I was experiencing something and feeling something that I had never felt before. And all I remember thinking without really understanding it is, God, I want to do this. I don't mean young life. I just, I, whatever this is, being able to see you, the groom, united with your bride. God, if that's how you want to use me, I'll do this for the rest of my life. As a dad, as an employee, as a pastor, as a friend, as a son, as a husband. Look, if anything you hear this morning, I guess what I want to say to you is, don't go through all of this and miss Jesus. He wants to bring a testimony to your life. His testimony that answers the deepest questions of our lives, he brings authority because he made you, he loves you. And gosh, don't walk away because of the war waging on inside of you. Move closer. Remind your little gods inside of you where your allegiance falls. And know the joy of your salvation, a joy that rejoices in the bridegroom reuniting with his bride. This morning for worship, I'd like to do something a little bit different. Don't get nervous but I'd like you guys just to stay seated. Is that okay? And I'd love for us just to dim the lights a little bit. And Leah is gonna sing a song for us. And I want you to reflect on one thing, the person of Jesus Christ in your life. He wants you, he loves you, he died for you, And maybe this morning, whether believer or unbeliever, could be a morning in which we are reunited with our groom, who we have set our seal to him and him to us. Let's worship. Grace Fellowship, would you stand as we bring the lights back up?
supposed to give you homework. So here's your homework. This week, would you think on him? Go to him. And allow him to speak his truth and his clarity into the world around you. Do something different. Put your phone down and pick up God's word. That's been an application for a couple years in the church. Go to his word. Allow him to speak truth and authority into your life. How do you respond to him being made beautiful? Does it bring you joy? If it doesn't, go back to the cross. Go back to where he wrote your name into the story of life. Are you willing to be used by him this week for his purposes? That he would increase and that you would decrease? I think you are. So go in peace. Thank you, Grace Fellowship. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.